welcome to the Proelium, which means the battle. The Joshua Lectures are an extension of New Antioch's classical education model. The intent of these lectures is to expose a larger audience to the understanding of the Lordship of Christ over all spheres of life. These lectures aim to address various topics within the disciplines of theology, philosophy, education, medicine, law, and ethics. Classical education engages these topics in a robust manner with an eye upon the cultural landscape and a mind transformed by the scriptures. For a reformation of today's vocations and institutions, Christians must be courageous and equipped to evoke real change for Christ. To be courageous without being equipped leads to defeat. To be equipped without possessing courage leads to disaster. New Antioch extends an invitation to you to come and experience these lectures in person. Each presenter approaches their topic with a substantial background of experience and or formal training in their particular discipline and endeavors to provide a careful and rigorous application of the Christian faith to life. Each evening's lectures will afford those in attendance the opportunity to ask questions of the guest lecturer through a moderated Q&A period following the presentation. If you would like more information, please email us at admin at newantiochinstitute.com. great privilege it is for me to speak here to you at New Antioch. This is one of my very favorite topics to speak on. Uh, of course, as a pastor, I'm speaking regularly from the pulpit on uh, the different topics that we find in scripture and letting the scripture lead us in regards to, uh, you know, what we need to discuss, what we need to consider. And so there is some, of course, some, some breadth in that. There are also some other topics that I have opportunities to speak on. Um, according to some expertise, I have had opportunity to speak on gender and sexuality um, in Canada and, and more particularly here in BC. Uh, I've also had the opportunity to speak on the topic of hell, according to some of my, my writing. But in spite of those other opportunities, there is nothing that I would rather speak on or lecture on then on the topic of the trinity the topic of the trinity is a great delight to my heart uh, it has been the subject of much contemplation and and you feel as one does that you just have begun to scratch the surface on the the depths of god in considering his unity and his his triunity, his his tri personality, and so uh, what a wonderful yeah! Just once again, what a, what a wonderful opportunity this uh, this is for me. In this first lecture, we are going to be introducing the doctrine of the Trinity, as well as let you know where it is that we are going with the with these series of lectures over these these fourteen lectures comprising uh, seven weeks. So I want to start this evening by first of all defining in at least very simple terms uh kind of getting a, a working definition of the trinity and then we'll go through and do a bit of an overview 
of the lectures and what you can expect in the weeks to come, where we're going and how we're going to lay out these lectures. And then I want to finish this evening by speaking about two um, emphases that may be maybe a little different with these lectures than uh, than perhaps in how some others have presented this doctrine. And yet I think is important, um, perhaps in terms of balancing uh, the doctrine of the Trinity, where there may be, maybe, maybe there's some imbalances in how people think about the Trinity. I think that that is the case, um, but also in terms of our own, uh, our own life with the Lord and our experience of the Trinity. So first of all, how do we define the Trinity? Let's get a, a working definition of what we mean. So when we speak of the Trinity, we mean that our God exists in three persons, although he is one God. He has one essence, or some, sometimes the word substance has been used. There is one thing, if you will, that makes God, God. And all three persons of God have this essence fully. They are all each uh, fully God. When we speak of the three persons, we are speaking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these names are not merely names, but they distinguish each of the persons from one another according to their personal relations and properties. The Father is defined by the fact that he is the Father of the Son. And the Son is defined by the fact uh, he has his, his divine eternal origin in the fact that he is the Son of the Father. Now, this may even at the outset raise questions about the Holy Spirit that uh, we may just put on hold at this point until we get later on into the rest of the lectures. But one God in three persons, one, one essence or substance, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, according to their personal properties and relations. So, having said that, where are we going with this series of lectures? Let me give you a little bit of a uh, overview. So, first of all, this is our introduction uh, to the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, and then in our subsequent lecture, in some ways, sort of a uh, an, another introductory lecture, uh, we'll be speaking about the knowledge of the Trinity. That is to say, how do we know about the Trinity? And we'll consider the the missions, uh, the mission of the, the Son and the Holy Spirit by which we have access to the knowledge of our triune God. Um, we'll consider the degree to which we can understand uh, the, the doctrine of the Trinity or, or understand God himself in this, in his triunity. But can we use the word comprehend? Do we comprehend the Trinity? <laughs> um, and the answer is, is no, we, we cannot fully understand the Trinity. And, and yet we also want to point out, and I think it's important to do so, that we do know the Trinity truly. And, um, and we'll get into that in our subsequent lecture. So after a couple of introductory lectures, we will then consider a biblical 
um, proof of the Trinity or a biblical understanding of the Trinity. We'll consider uh, one lecture on the Trinity in the Old Testament, and then we'll have two uh, lectures on the Trinity in the New Testament. The first one focusing more on the proofs of the Trinity, but the second one getting a little bit into some of the um, some of the doctrine per se of the Trinity and how the persons relate and the means of their uh, of their unity. So moving from this biblical doctrine of the Trinity, they will then move into the history of the uh, of the Trinity. And we'll focus uh, for a couple of lectures on the early church. And uh, there's so much richness here in the historical doctrine of the Trinity as it relates to the early church. Uh, we'll consider in the first of those two lectures, uh, the pre-Nicene era and how the early church fathers began to work out this doctrine and defend for instance, the divinity of the Son, uh, Tertullian and others, uh, how they worked this out. Uh, but then getting into also in our second lecture, the Nicene era. And we'll briefly consider the Nicene Council and some of the um, dialogues and, and outright fights that took place uh, during that time frame. But we'll also touch on some of the theologians the Nicene theologians, and uh, at least to get a taste of some of the uh, some of the writing from that era, from people like uh, Hilary and Athanasius himself, of course, such an important figure, the Cappadocians and and Augustine. Moving into the medieval era, uh, I look forward to sharing a little bit uh, from you on an era that really doesn't get a lot of play, maybe at least in Reformed circles. Um, people like Bonaventure and Bernard, uh, and then of course you have Aquinas, and so we'll consider, uh, on one hand, sort of the the more a more mystical approach with Bernard, with uh, even Bonaventure to some degree, but then also consider some of the scholastics like Aquinas, at least at least briefly, because we'll also be drawing from them later. Uh, and then lastly, we'll we'll finish our look at. Uh, historical the historical doctrine of the trinity by focusing on the modern era and we'll take in quite a large sweep of history here we'll deal with three controversies one stemming from the, the reformation area with with calvin and the autotheos uh, controversy we'll take a look at a, a controversy that occurred later on in the um, in the 17th and uh, 18th century concerning um, Daniel Waterland and his responses to Samuel Clark. And then we will deal with what is a current controversy and something that really we do need to, to understand and dig into, which is this uh, controversy around eternal functional subordination, the eternal functional subordination of the sun. Can we, can we speak about the sun being subordinate to the father eternally not in an ontological way, but in a in a functional way, and we'll we'll get into that, and we'll make some careful distinctions about uh, what's going on even right now. This is a current controversy. There is still a lot of discussion, dialogue, and you know, and sometimes it gets a little more heated than that, even um, in some places. We'll then turn in our lectures to dogmatics, and so we will uh, deal with a systematic doctrine of the Trinity. But the word dogmatics is often used to some degree as a synonym of uh, systematics. 
But the word dogmatics really emphasizes what is received and agreed upon within the history of uh, of systematics. And so we'll consider, um, yeah, from the scholastics, people like Aquinas and how they framed things. Not that he is the full and final word, but uh, there is certainly a systematization within his writing that uh, that is detailed, precise and, and quite helpful, and we'll draw for some from some others as well, uh, as we try to develop a, a, a kind of a grammar, a vocabulary for how to speak about the Trinity. And then we'll get into uh, for the last three lectures what is uh, my my favorite part of thinking about the Trinity. Once this groundwork is laid, we want to consider how the Trinitarian nature of our God is worked out into all of creation everything that he has done in creation redemption and the final state and uh and i want to introduce to you some of what i have learned kind of building on the foundations of john frame and Vern poitras and their what they call triperspectivalism and uh and we're going to see that there are many passages in scripture and many aspects of systematic theology that have a triadic um aspect or form to them and by that i mean actually a specifically trinitarian triadic form and uh, in this way we we want to begin to think trinitarianly i believe that that is one of the wonderful effects that contemplation of the trinity ought to have on our lives so that really leads us into one of uh, the major emphases that we are going to have in these lectures. So I want to suggest two words, um, a bit of alliteration here, two words that I think will mark these lectures, perhaps in some ways as distinct from some other teaching that occurs on the Trinity. Not that there is no one else emphasizing these things, uh, but the first is exploration. The second is experience. So, so exploration, what do I mean in using that word? Well, often the doctrine of the Trinity has been presented almost as if it is an arithmetical formula. And as I have mentioned uh, already, it is important that we understand how the doctrine of the Trinity has been defended and carefully defined throughout history it's important that we have a grasp of the the grammar the vocabulary of our subject just even as we would have with with any subject matter we'd want to we'd want to understand that and even to master that and yet uh, it seems that our current understanding of the trinity and perhaps this is a problem that has been in place for some time and perhaps in fact is a a particular problem with western the kind of the western tradition of the doctrine of the trinity and it is that it, it, it kind of suffers from this marketing problem it seems like this sort of dry sterile kind of of doctrine and what i want you to consider he even here at the outset of our lectures is that we ought to approach the doctrine of the trinity 
as if it is a, to use an analogy, a, a land, an exotic land full of wonder and, and vistas of glory that are ready to be explored. You know, if we're entering into some new place that we've never been before, and a, perhaps a place of natural beauty, we may, you know, we may go over to this place, to a, to a mountain and, and see a, this, you know, this spire jutting out into the sky and remark upon its majesty and its, its greatness. And then we may go over to some, you know, some cliff or canyon and, and look down and, and remark at its, at the power that is communicated to us in, uh, in that. And, and uh, imagine it's a beautiful land that we want to explore full of, you know, fresh new things that excite and exhilarate us. That is the approach that I think we ought to have to the doctrine of the Trinity and to look to explore it, to not be scared to delve into the doctrine of the Trinity. I think that often people approach the doctrine of the Trinity with some fear and trepidation. And and perhaps some of that is not wholly inappropriate, that we may want to tread, you know, lightly and and carefully. Um, Yet, I think that this has borne out in our tradition as being afraid to say almost anything about the Trinity, Uh, scared to explore, scared to to think and to contemplate the nature of of our triune God. And I think that we need to understand through the doctrine of the Trinity, the the glory, the beauty, the wonder of our God and how that is reflected in creation. And this gets into, of course, what we just finished talking about when it comes to our, our structure, when it comes to the um, the reflections or what is often called the vestiges of the Trinity within creation and redemption. And, and this is going to mark uh, our lectures as somewhat unique. There, there are people that get very uncomfortable talking about the vestiges of the Trinity within creation and, and redemption. Um, you know, almost all Trinitarian theologians are happy to say, you know, that the Father, Son, and Spirit are each at work in, in everything we do. But then in seeing the, the beauty or the emphases in how certain aspects of creation or redemption may reflect on a specific person within the Trinity, according to what is often called appropriations, there are many theologians that get very uncomfortable with this. And I think it is such a uh, such a sad thing because I think there's a richness that comes to our lives when we understand this doctrine of the Trinity. Um, so explore. We need to be ready to think uh, about kind of setting off on a, on a pilgrimage to a new place we've never been before, ready to experience our God. And this leads into our second emphasis, which is that we want to really understand through the doctrine of the Trinity how it is that we relate to God. Our devotional life, our experience with the triune God. And when we understand that our God is not only one, but he has this threefold shape. Um, and even in, in their eternal relations, when we understand the depth of this, it really enriches our life 
with God. It greatly impacts our life of faith and our life of prayer. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. We all want to feel loved. We all all want to understand the love of God. The love of God transforms our lives. And, and, uh, you know, we may think of uh, different passages that would speak of Uh, of the love of God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And of course, you do have the doctrine of the Trinity right there in in, uh, in John 3.16. The the father out of love sends his son, but he is the he is the the only begotten son. And, And there in that idea, you have at least the beginnings of the sense worked out in many other passages, not only of the love of God in a, in a way that relates to his unity. That is that, you know, as it says in first John, that God is love, but also you begin to have an idea of this Trinitarian shape of this love that the father loves the son. He loves the son and the son loves the father and the son's love for the father has a has a filial shape to it because he is the son of the father. And the father loves the son in a way that that reflects his paternity. So there's there's a a certain asymmetry to it that enriches our understanding of God's love And so when we then understand how we are adopted as sons through Jesus Christ and, uh, you know, thinking even of what Ephesians chapter one speaks about in regards to in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Then all of a sudden we have an enrichment of our understanding of uh, of this love. We may, uh, you know, delve into the fact that as sons in the son, we are approved of and loved just even as the father loves his own son. Or we may delve into a contemplation of of how the father loves the son and is and is proud of him, as we see in those passages that refer to the baptism of Christ. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so when you get a Trinitarian understanding of something like the love of God, there is an enrichment of our understanding of God, an enrichment even of our of our prayer lives to think about, to contemplate in prayer the love that the father has for the son and desiring to reward him and raise him up as preeminent above all creation as the firstborn over it um, to enter into the love that uh, and to experience that in a, in a, in a rich and very experiential way. Um, you know, to even have the sense of, of, of love and joy and maybe even weeping in in those moments where we feel the spirit communicates to our heart in ways that may even, you know, come into our bodies as a as a sense, um, whatever that may feel like to you, that we enter into this in an enriched way because we understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Or consider the appropriations of 
how certain aspects of creation or redemption or the final state are said to be connected to one of the three persons in a particular way. Now, when we speak about appropriations, we understand, for instance, to take the the doctrine of creation, to speak of God as a creator, we understand that we can say that God created. We understand that when we say that, that because we have a triune God, what we mean is that the Father created. Did the Son create? Yes, the Son created too. What about the Spirit? Yes, the Spirit too is the creator. That they inseparably are involved in in all of their works. And yet, what we find in Scripture is that creation is seen as, in a way, by way of emphasis, to be appropriated to the Father. And so this too enriches our understanding of, of the Father. So, for instance, when the Lord Jesus speaks about um, how God created all things and, and then is able, because of that, is able to provide for all things, he, he's able to speak of this in terms of this language of God being our, our Father. Um, if then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When we look to creation and providence, even though we understand that the Son is involved fully, the Spirit is involved fully, but it enriches our understanding of, of, of the Father and of, of creation and our reliance upon God's fatherly love, his fatherly provision, when we understand some of this, some of this Trinitarian shape of, um, yeah, of what we have presented to us in scripture. And so even as another example to use the doctrine of sanctification, we see in scripture that that is appropriated to the spirit in a particular way. Does the father sanctify? Absolutely. Does the son sanctify? Yes, he does. But when we understand that um, it's the Holy Spirit who is emphasized in the doctrine of, of sanctification, and we'll get in later into why that may be. Uh, it enables us to pray, I think, in a, in a more greatly enriched way that we, even though we could pray, you know, God, sanctify me today, you know, purify me. Maybe I have a sense of my weakness or a sense of temptation. We're praying earnestly that the Lord would grant us purity, washing, freedom from temptation and sin. We could pray to God, you know, generally. We could absolutely pray to the Father for this. We could pray for the to the Son. But I think it enriches our prayer lives when we pray to the Spirit uh, because this is appropriated to Him in a particular way. And I know that for myself that, yeah, it enriches my own prayer life when we understand the triadic shape of of scripture and redemption and what the Lord is doing in our lives. Let me finish um, this first lecture with with a bit of an anecdote. One of the reasons I think it is important to get into this idea of, of an exploration of the doctrine of the Trinity and not to be overly fearful about saying the wrong thing or 
or, or, or just even not being willing to, to, to explore, to delve into the doctrine of the Trinity. One of the reasons why I think it's important to experience the triune God so that it is not merely head knowledge. It's not just the, you know, the doctrine in and of itself, uh, the grammar, the vocabulary, the right thinking about it relates to one of my experiences as a, um, as a, as a boy I know that one of the things the Lord did for me in in the early part of my life is that he delivered me from an area of of interest and thinking uh, quite quickly if if my if I'm remembering correctly that would have been disastrous for my spiritual life and we could remark upon the grace of our God and how he is condescending and sometimes he just absolutely intervenes in our lives to to keep us from wrong paths but I remember as a boy maybe even as a early teenager, some sometime in that period of my life, that I was interested in the occult. Now, I knew that looking into the occult was, was wrong. My parents had trained me the right way. I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. But I remember, uh, in particular, going to the library where I grew up, the town in which I grew up wasn't a large library, but they had a section near the beginning of the, you know, the Dewey Decimal System in the in in the zeros <laughs> in, in that, you know, early on. And, um, and I forget exactly where it was, but I remember it was near the beginning where there was books about the occult. And I remember several times going there and and, you know, surreptitiously opening a couple of books about the occult or about witchcraft, about Satanism. And as I look back on that time with great thanksgiving for the how the Lord just kind of didn't allow me to go further down that path, uh, I think that one of the things that that drew me, that I found interesting or attractive in that sinful way, was that I felt that the doctrine that I was learning in church was intellectual predominantly and that it did not have the same depth or wonder mystery that some of the other religions of the world had. Now, of course, at that point in time, I did not understand the the weaknesses of the viewpoints uh, of the other religions and how in many cases they are simply, um, not to use hopefully too strong of a word, but it's simply irrational. But I, I felt a, a desire, even though I had excellent uh, Bible teaching throughout all my childhood, excellent pastors, we had a healthy church, but I wanted a an experience of the depth of the riches of God's mysteries. And I think that the doctrine of the Trinity satisfies that longing in a way that, that I think other doctrines do, but not to the same degree. And so I hope that these lectures will help you to drink deeply deeply 
from God. To understand his, the wisdom and the knowledge and the, and the riches of all that is in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I give you thanks as the font of divinity, creator, sustainer, the one who purposes all things and brings to fruition all that you have planned. And I give thanks to you, son, for having accomplished, though very God of very God, all that the father had planned and to which you fully agreed and worked out in history for our redemption. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come sent by the Spirit, or sent by by the Son to live in us and to teach us all that Christ has said and to, to fulfill and finalize all the work of God in our lives. And thank you that that will be brought to completion. That one day we will stand before you, our one God in three. And that we will be glorified because you have purposed, accomplished, and applied for your glory this this wonderful work in our lives. Help us to understand you. Help us to love you. Help us to plumb a little deeper the depths of who you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Joshua Lecture Series on the Trinity. You can find more lectures by going to newantiochinstitute.com and click on the tab Joshua Lectures or by finding us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform by searching for Proelium, as spelled P-R-O-E-L-I-U-M. If you'd like to know more about New Antioch Institute, you can email us at admin at newantiochinstitute.com. Thanks very much. Have a great day.